So I'm at the pool having a good time, welcome, doing the welcome open on camera, blah, blah. And then my phone starts ringing. It's Mike. The ad sales had, yeah. Had ad sales for the company. Yeah. And I was like, I picked up. I was like, hey, Mike. He's like, Oscar, please don't tell me that I'm looking at you right now down here in Miami on the rooftop of a building. When I told you like we, I would have to think about this. He was there? He was at a building across, across <laughs> at another rooftop party. And he literally saw me and calls me to, to basically, he's like, you're here. Yeah. When we get back, we're, we're, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to have a conversation. And, and I was like, okay. And then from that moment, it was kind of like a weight was lifted off my shoulders because I was like, all right. Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo, what's good? Welcome to another episode of the Cantueras podcast brought to you by Plural. Before getting into the details of this week's episode, let me give you a quick reminder on where we are with our app launch process. If you've already signed up for the app launch waitlist, then you should have already received an email with some screenshots of what the app looks like, as well as a link to sign up for the focus groups, which are kicking off this week. If you haven't received that email or never ended up signing up for the waitlist, no worries. I'm including a link to the Calendly where you can book your time and date to participate in the focus groups. I'm going to provide a QR code where you can actually access the app prototype. And during the focus group, I'm going to walk you through some really cool features, some highlights of the app functionality, and I'll give you a survey where you can provide feedback on all of those things. I'm going to use that feedback from you to guide what we keep, tweak, or completely remove from the app before putting it actually into the app store. So these focus groups are really important to guide the roadmap for this app development. Please be sure to check your email or click the link in the show notes slash episode description. With that said, let's get into today's episode though, because we got a good one for you. The clip in the intro that you heard is with this week's guest, Oscar Martinez. Despite the last name and us being Dominican, no, we're not related. But let me give you a quick bio so that you know a little bit more about him going into the episode. So Oscar Martinez is a creative and content marketer with 14 plus years of experience in both brand and agency side. As a natural connector, Oscar is a problem solver with a passion for storytelling through the lens of culture and authenticity. Oscar, aka Just Watch O, where you can find him on social media, is an uptown New York native born in Washington Heights and raised in the Bronx. Speaking of social media, you've probably seen his work online as a comedic actor slash producer, and he's best known as the other half of music parody duo Juan Bago and O. They were often compared to early Latin versions of Lonely Island, whom you've probably seen on SNL. The duo garnered national exposure between 2011 and 2015 for their viral hits Pan Con Queso, Dominis in the Heights, and much more. And Pan Con Queso is a classic. Just look it up on YouTube, trust me. After making time in the comedy world, O actually took his talents to the stage, starring in off-Broadway plays and joining the cast of Latino sketch comedy group Room 28. These days, O is the cultural partnerships and activations lead on the global brand activations team at Vistaprint. To get Oscar's full bio, please be sure to check out the show notes and episode description for this week's episode. Now that you know a little bit more about O, let's get into this dope conversation that you're not going to want to miss. 
when you hear the word authenticity, right? It's a buzzword. What does it mean to you? Authenticity, yeah, automatically it just means to be real like to be you to be I, I don't know like <laughs> it's hard to say it without actually using the word like authenticity is it's just real so when you were growing up do you think you were allowed to be real yeah <laughs> I, I, I had to kind of think about that a little bit I mean I feel like growing up I grew up in so many different spaces that like but you you kind of hesitate like being your authentic self what do you mean? Um, like, what spaces did you grow up in? Like, you know, just like, I, I think as you kind of grow up, right? Like, you, obviously as a child, like, you are authentic, right? Yeah. You know better. Right, You're kind of right. just like... You got no filter either. Exactly. Like, you kids will no tell you how it filter. is. Exactly. But, like, growing up, like, my mom always taught me, like, hey, when you're in certain spaces, you got to act accordingly, you yeah. know? Like, Don't be embarrassing me Exactly. Out here. Like, we're going to go to a restaurant. You got to learn how to sit and be quiet. You're not going to be one of these kids that are, are, are going crazy and being loud, like... Just understanding the, the, the spaces that you're in and the, the people that you're around, like, I think that's important because, like, look, man, I think me personally, I, I'm just naturally, like, a, a loud and just kind of, like, outgoing person. Okay. Now, as a kid, that's, like, amplified by, like, 1,000, <laughs> but, like, sprinkling, feeling, like, really annoying. And so, like... You got to learn how to kind of temper that a little bit. And like, I learned from an early age how to kind of temper it. But then even beyond that, growing up, going to different schools, being raised in Catholic schools and stuff like that. I didn't know you went to Catholic school. Catholic school my entire life. What high school you went to? Uh, so this is an interesting story. I My first high school was Mount St. Michael's here in the I'm, Bronx. I went to Hayes. Okay, right? <laughs> Turkey Bowl. Uh, was Mount St. Michael's, so I went there for a year. That was my freshman year. Okay. And then I got kicked out. Yeah, what and uh, I I was at that young, rambunctious teenage, like, a lot of testosterone and energy, <laughs> and, like, I, I wasn't really focused on school, and okay. I was more focused on girls and having fun and all of that. So, like, I didn't do well in school. I threw things out of the freshman building window. I okay. got in trouble for, like, dumb stuff. Yeah. Like. I also felt like, I don't know, maybe I was kind of rebelling a little bit because I, they placed me in, a, in honors classes, which I felt was, like, wrong. Like, I was like, I don't belong in honors classes. Isn't that a good thing? It is. But, but as a kid, that's not cool, though. Yeah, because the honors kids stay together. And like, those ki like, those kids were made fun of. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Like, you kind of think, like, yo, those are the, like, smart, nerdy kids. Exactly. You know? Like, yeah. yeah. And so, like, they didn't really mix the honors kids up. Like, the, the honors, like, class they didn't really necessarily get to intermingle with the other kids in their other classes. So, like, they had all their classes together except yeah. for, like, lunch. And so, like, I wasn't one of those kids. I felt like I was, like, I don't know. I don't know. You felt like you were a little cooler than... No, I didn't maybe? feel like I was a little cooler. I just feel like, yo, this is somebody made a mistake. Somebody made <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here. Um, Wait, so were you that kid that you, like, in parent-teacher conference, there was, like... Yo, he's an amazing student, but he's like, he's too talkative. That was you? Yeah, that was absolutely me. I think it's sad, like, when you're, when you kind of retrospectively think about it, like, yeah. those conversations, those parent-teacher conversations when your parent brought you in and, like, you can recognize what they were saying. Right. And actually say, like, wow, they were really right. Like, not only not necessarily that I was loud, but it was just, like, all of my teachers consistently throughout elementary school used to tell my mom, like, he has a lot of potential. 
he's really smart, but he talks so much. Uh-huh. And he becomes distracting to others and he mm. distracts himself and like he's not giving his all. And I think that That's I That's really interesting. He, he, so and, and this is just a like this is a weird thing, man. Like I, I think we had a quick conversation about this about like therapy and like yeah. what's important to be in therapy. I've never gone to a therapist and I've always wanted to, but I've just never been able to take that like step on that step. Like, all right, I'm now having a conversation. I booked an appointment and I'm having a conversation with somebody. It's not easy, man. It's not. It's, it's expensive not. too. It's it is exactly. So I feel like I go through these moments where like I'm an only child. Me too. So so I talk to myself a lot, mm-hmm. and I examine everything that I do and the things that I say and all of that. And I realize now that I spoke into existence, being regular, selling myself. Yo, I just want to be like growing up. I remember like telling myself like I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be like super cool. I I just want to be regular. Like, none of the extreme of, like, it's super like, nerd. You don't want to be super cool. You just want to be... I just want to be right in the middle. And gotcha. I used to say that to my mom. Like, when I used to get, like, really... Like, we used to get into, like, fights and stuff like that about school. I was like, yo, I just want to be normal. I just want to be a, a BC student. And I'm like, yo, now That's thinking about it... fascinating, man. You wanted to be a BC... I just wanted to be a regular kid and have a regular life and not anything special. Nothing. Wow. And so I basically, like diagnosed myself with living a life of mediocrity like move forward as a regular person and i and and to this day i still can't like i don't know why i said that to myself like i don't know why i I felt like i needed to be that like when years later it was the complete opposite like years later it was like yo your authentic self is actually longing to be not regular. It was like longing to like be like something greater, something bigger. You might not be able to understand what that is, but like just know that like for lack of better words and for not sounding as corny as this is going to sound, but like you're destined for greatness in some type of way. And So do you think it took away your ambition at an early age? Yeah. Like I, intentionally I, I, yeah, took away your yeah. ambition? Yeah, I did it to myself. I did it to myself. Gotcha. And like that's like now that I'm older, I understand like the power of manifestation like the importance of like yeah you know really believing in in yourself not waiting for somebody else to believe in you but really believing in yourself like wholeheartedly and like not only believing in yourself but saying it to yourself you know like you can really hurt yourself or really put yourself in a great great position just by speaking positivity or negativity into your life it's interesting that at such an early age, you weren't even just sharing it with yourself, but you were sharing it with your mom, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's a very, like, vulnerable and just open thing to be sharing with somebody. Yeah, I mean, there was nobody else, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and I respect that about you as well, bro, because I see that a lot. Like, I grew up in... It was my mother, my aunt, and my grandmother. I was raised by three Yo, me women. too. And, my and aunt is, like, my second mom. Exactly. exactly. That's funny, man. My yeah. aunt is my mother's twin sister. Twins. So, identical twins. And so, like, and they were, like, substantially older, too. Like, my mother had me at a, like, late age. She had me at, like, 36, 37 years old. Bro, I'm not trying to say me, too, again, yeah, but, like, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, my mom's, yeah, like, yeah. 70-something right now. Yeah, 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 man. So, um. <laughs> yeah, my mom gets tight because, <laughs> like, my mom obviously walks around with my grandma. I mean, she's so alive, thankfully. Yeah, but God, these man. days, 
she like people be like, oh my god, you and your sister. And my mom be like, damn, yo, do I look that old? <laughs> like she be getting tight. She get tight. But yeah, go yo, for it. No, nah, man. I mean, I don't know, man. Like I, that's that was the environment that I grew up around. Like, and I grew up in a, an environment that there was no hiding anything. Like. Especially like my mom was like, she was, I was a mama's boy, man, you know what I'm saying? I, my mom was my best friend. Like she was the friend, I didn't have, like I grew up in the Heights. So like, and during a time that like, it was really dangerous. We're talking about the late, mid, late eighties, early nineties. And like the block that I grew up on was a very dangerous block. And like my mom sheltered me, man. She was like, you're not going out, you're not yeah. like, and, cause, and I say that because even in elementary school, like you growing up in, in the Heights, you're seeing kids who are like seven, eight, six years old in the street in front of their building, hanging out. But like, that was normal. And like, oh, I wanted to do that. And my mom was like, nah, you're not going outside. You're not going outside. So it was like, like being closeted into this apartment in the Heights and just seeing the world through the windows of this building. And it's like, yo, I only have myself and my mom. So like, I tell her everything. <laughs> Yo, my, yeah, man. So much of what you're saying resonates with me, man. Yeah, man. I, one, I didn't know you were only child. I didn't know you grew up with, like you were that close to your mom. It's interesting though, going back to like your school experience and people telling you that you were loud or whatever. And the instant reaction from our family is like, shut up, focus on school, right? Chill but, out. <laughs> but this whole time, like what it really was is like your early, display of some of your strengths yeah you're extrovert you're a relationship builder you're charismatic you can own a room as soon as you walk in you know what i mean you have a very commanding presence so early on like yeah that's the feedback but what if some of the feedback that you were given was more so like how to use that as a as, as a skill you know what i mean I, honestly there would have been no telling where i would have been yeah. I think about that. I think that stuff is fascinating, <laughs> it, it though. It is, yeah. It's like, all right. And it's not just you. Every, most people get Absolutely. that feedback. Absolutely. It's like, yo, what does is, what is Oscar look like in an alternate dimension? You know what right, I'm saying? Like, right, right. In the dimension where, like, I was, like, mature enough as a kid because you know that there are those kids who are, like, they're very mature at a very early age. If I was mature enough to recognize that, yeah. and, like, my mom, I wasn't going to expect my mom to recognize that. Like, she was working. You know what I'm saying? Like, her focus was like, yo, you do your homework, you do go to school, like, you know what I'm saying? Keep you alive. And like, yeah. also like showing me the world in different ways, but it, it was different, man. It wasn't in that sense of like talent of creativity. You know right, what I'm right. Like, I didn't even, I didn't know what creativity was. Like I didn't understand what creativity was for a very long time. That's another thing I definitely want to get into with you because you do a lot creatively. And I think it's so interesting because it, it deviates from like what we see as like a profession. Yeah. So yeah. when you were looking at professions growing up, like what was the representation around you that you were like, oh, so Fulano's doing this or that, and then what you wanted to get into eventually? Like, did you have an idea? So it was kind of weird, right? So uh, <laughs> I, I didn't really grow up with a lot of role models. Sure. Like my mom was my role model, of course, because of the type of person she was. My family, like my immediate family, like the type of people they were. like. Like I knew that, yo, there, there is no, you're not going to college. You're gonna go, you're gonna go to high school. You're gonna right. go to college. Right. You're gonna get a job. Like I knew, that's just, I knew that was right. a path, right? Just what that job was. Yeah, was yeah, like... I didn't know what that thing, what that job was gonna be. 
but I was also very resistant. Like I feel like my, my, my mother was trying to give me a path and I was very resistant. Like she was like, go to the military, do what I did. And like, oh. she was like, get a job working for the city and do what I do. Because like, it's secure. Because it's secure. Low and because there's a pension. Yeah. And because there's all of those amazing, luxurious things that like yeah, us yeah, yeah. As, as creative people who work in the private sector, like we'll never get to like live with. It's, it's, you know, she was like trying to paint a picture for me. And I was just so resistant because I was like, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. But what was that like though? Cause that's tough. This is a person you grew up with, you respect, you kind of like idolize in many ways. You had such a close relationship. She was your best friend and you're telling her no, like that's tough. I mean, she, she would always say like in Spanish, es que tú siempre me quieres llevar lo, lo contrario. Like I always want to go against her. And it was, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> like I was, at times I felt like I kind of was like, I felt like I knew more than my mom. And I was, yep. you know, like most kids, like at a certain age, you start feeling like more than your parents, but then it's like, yo, you're so wrong. <laughs> you're so wrong, dude. Really, like, I think you're right. Well, at some point, our family hasn't like, I mean, for my family, at least, like they haven't been in the rooms. They haven't graduated from this college. They haven't taken these classes. They haven't been exposed right. to the opportunity. So at some right. point, I think we do kind of know more. Yeah, you're, that's fair. I mean, in the sense of like morality, when the decisions that you make, like why you make these decisions, why you decide to like have a certain type of reaction towards a certain thing. Gotcha. Life experience gives yeah, yeah, yeah. you that direction. Yeah. And like when you're so resistant to that recommendation or advice, it's like those gems that like we are always fishing for from our peers. Yeah. They've been given to us by our, our ancestors, by our parents. And like, we've just been so resistant to actually listen. Like, yeah, they might not have been in the same rooms as we've been. Yo, I think about that a lot, bro. Like I know to, to a certain point, like I remember that moment where I was old enough my mom used to take me to the bank with her after church every single Sunday, right? And before we used to go food shopping. And I remember the slip coming out of the ATM and seeing how much my mother had mm -hmm. or like how much she used to get paid in her checks and stuff right. like that. And then realizing like how much that was annually and was like, and then I was like, yo, if I make this much money, then I'm going to be good and I'll be able to be good. So my goal is to now make more money, a little bit more money than my mom, mm -hmm. because she's given me this great life and she's been able to do it by herself on yeah. this salary, whatever. Yeah. So, so when I saw that was then my like driving factor for like, yo, when you make money, this is how much you need to like make in order to make it. So now I had a goalpost of like, yo, I made it. And I set like, I set that like goalpost. Right. So like right when I was in college, you know, or, or late high school, early college. So then when I started to like try to figure out what I wanted to do, it was like, all right, I just need to find a job that's gonna make me this much money and then I'll be good. Interesting. Yeah, man. But I also knew, like, in college, after college, I knew that I wanted to do something in, in entertainment. Okay. That was it. That was it. That was the headline. Do something in entertainment. And why was it entertainment? Because I was just fascinated by TV, man. I've, I've always been fascinated by TV and, and TV production and films and Hollywood and fame and entertainment in general. Like, Also I've, just like a fan. I, yeah, well. I've been yeah. a fan of it. And I, I just... I. It's, it is a very different world. And like, I think you, until you have stepped foot in it, 
you will never fully understand what that world is. It is not like, yo, it's weird, but it's not like the world that we live in. And, and it's not just because like, these are people that are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars a year, but it is a very, yo, it's a very different world. And I knew that. And like, I was like, yo, I just need to, I just need to like, I just need to touch it. I need to get there somehow. You, you want know? to get the behind the scenes peak of what was really. Yeah. And like, I didn't know how, I didn't know how, Yeah. but that's all I kept saying to myself was that I want to do something in entertainment. And so going back to the reason why I was talking about manifestation is it's like, yo, you can manifest everything. Well, as long as you firmly really believe in it. And, and this is something that you truly want to do. And that like manifestation of constantly saying it brought me to working in television. And like, that did, was... <laughs> did, did it live up to the hype? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. It's a crazy world, man. It's a crazy world. Actually, before getting into that, what was your, like thinking back to some of your early career experiences, what was your like first day swag looking like? First day swag of what? Like how you dress? Work? How'd you dress? Work? Yeah. Like my first like. How did you dress up? Did you dress up? Yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. man. Like we're talking about 2009. Yeah. We're talking about the recession. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, at that time, like there was you wearing you're wearing business casual or business attire. Okay. You know, business casual is nice because business casual is Fridays. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, and that's like. But business attire is like you suited and booted. You wearing a tie, you shirt tie, slack suit jacket or a sports jacket or something like that. You going into work, shoes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Taquitos. You know? Like Wait, so. That, I, so at that time, was the, like was there an actual dress code, or you just assumed because that's how everyone was dressing? You just kind of. I think it was a little bit of both. I felt like it was like an unset rule. Yeah, like that, yeah. This is just how you show up to work. Yeah, yeah. It's just like what we've accepted in society. Yeah, <laughs> and then it was all, again, it was, you're going into the professional world. So this is how you dress professionally. Did and you also shave? Did what kind of, you had a low cut? At that time, I did not have a full beard. Okay. I had like probably like a goatee or okay. like a little chin strap situation. <laughs> it was clean though. It was like, it was always clean. It was kind of like a little bit more than Mount. A little bit more than mouth. Yeah, yeah. I only you, had could, a mustache. you could even have a mustache. Yeah. yeah, and like I went through all the height. I didn't even finish answering. Yeah, it's like I, I went to high mouth for one year, and I, that was it. I never went back to school. <laughs> but no, after that, I went to boarding school. And, oh uh, shit! I went to boarding school in Connecticut, and that Yo, like they see the Connecticut or Massachusetts. That's where all the boarding schools is at. That's crazy. Yeah. Thank God I was. I, I went to boarding school in New England, and not like. New Hampshire or anything like that, man. I wouldn't want to be up there. Yo, but um, boarding? Yo, that's a whole... I had a guest on the show, Lizette Williams, and she's mm -hmm. uh exec at Meta now, but she said boarding school helped shape her to be more socially acceptable to white people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I thought Hayes was one iteration of that, but boarding school is another level. Yeah. Yeah, but they... Because it's like, I, I mean... Yeah, I mean, my wife also, she went to boarding school as well. So like, we it was it was a unique experience. I think it was I was extremely fortunate to have gone through that experience. Oh yeah, as, I mean education is yeah yeah. Computer. As unhappy and as resistant as I was, again resistant. My mom, she was like, she told me straight up, she was like, I'm alone. I can't deal with you as a teenager. She told me straight up. Wow. And like, Looking back on it, I'm like, yo, that was probably the smartest thing you ever did. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was the smartest thing you ever did because she put, again, putting me on a path 
in order to make sure that I was doing the best, like yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. me. That's way better than sending you to DR, how they do most kids. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's way better than and, and and that was an option as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I you That's know I've way had better. My, I've had my dual citizenship for forever. So like that was and that was the reason for that. Cause like that was an option. Yeah. <laughs> but how, do you, nah, man. how do you think that shaped your identity? The boarding school thing? I feel like going to boarding school, it opened me up to be accepting of so many different types of people, men, like everything, like culturally, I, what's, what's the right word? Not sexually, but like, <laughs> I guess that's, weird. <laughs> that's weird. But like, like that was the first time I ever met anybody that was gay, was yeah. when I was in high school. And like, you're talking about early 2000s, like that was like, yo, what? <laughs> Especially being as young, like a 15 year old mm -hmm. and experiencing that or experiencing People who were a little bit like more open about who they were as sexually and stuff like that, and like not feeling that it was weird, right? Because like, in in Mal, they would have called you Mal, all types of in the Bronx, in the Heights. Yeah. Like that's not what is that? That's you know? interesting. So your first time meeting someone is also like such a positive experience, Absolutely. right? Like if you, I'm just saying, like if you would have met that person in Mao, that would have been a completely different experience for you. I probably would have had no reason to, to, to talk to them. That too. Because you have an escape, right? You go yeah. to school, you leave. Yeah. Born in school, you're there. Yeah. There. You go to school, school's done, you go do sports, you go eat, you go to study hall, Dang. knock out. And you and get you to... do that every single week. And you, <laughs> and you probably get exposed to so many things that you would have never been exposed to. For example, like, at an early age, I had, I had, there's a bunch of people on the show that have been boarding school. They were like, yeah, I would have never tried skiing at that young of an age. Oh, no, I've seen that skiing. You know what I mean? I was, I, I want to say I was probably one of the few Dominicans <laughs> at the age of five skiing in Vardenedge in Canada. At five? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, my mom, my, my mom and my aunt were very big on, on skiing. And, That's dope. And I learned how to ski at a very young age. I had to, I had to date a white woman to start skiing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was bad fun, but I was, yeah, I was yeah, in yeah. my 30s. And that's an experience. Man. Yeah, that's man, you had like five, that's dope. Yeah, five, six, six, seven years old for a few years. Okay, all right, so going back to when you started working. Yeah. How much of that early experience of you, you being told too loud, too this, distracting, how do you think that impacted you when you started working? When I started working, I think it impacted me in a negative way because I quieted down. And, and I, the more I think about it, it's, there, was, there were multiple reasons why I quieted down. It was the imposter syndrome. There was the... You experienced that early? Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Like... You're working on TV and film with all of these people and, like, people who have gone to all of these colleges that are Ivy Leagues too. or, like, huge colleges you just hear about in sports. And, like, you went to Long Island University and it's just, like, <laughs> you don't feel like you're good enough to be there. And so, but you're there, right? Like, and so, like, that was, that was damaging a little bit to myself, I feel like. To my self-esteem and so like I quieted down because like I just didn't feel like I belonged there and yeah it, it, it was a few I would want to say like it took like a little while and then you get comfortable and then you start meeting other people who don't think that way specifically white people what do you mean like when I was working at, at said companies or whatever like 
I was meeting white people who were pretty privileged and like they were approached to like work atmosphere and culture was very different and like how you were supposed to like conduct yourself like oh like they didn't have imposter syndrome they didn't, so uh, you were like wait like yeah, what? yeah yeah like how can I do that how can right. I feel like that how can gotcha. I feel like that right and it, it just came down to like yo just you're here you're here you're gonna be here more than you're anywhere else like enjoy it like try to find something that you enjoy and like don't feel like don't feel like you need to be quiet so i've had people kind of along the way that like they've told me straight up like the worst thing you could ever do is be in a room and not be heard or seen like they brought you in to have an opinion yeah exactly yeah. when like that was something like i feel like i was scared at first to like early in my career to say the wrong thing or to yeah. open my mouth and sound too stupid or like who is this kid from uptown like just who's talking right now yeah you know? yeah and then you kind of get over it because you realize that like some of the people that you think are the smartest people in the room aren't actually the smartest people in the room yeah 100 percent. i remember this dude that i was working with yo i'm forgetting his name whatever but he so you know how like you be in meetings and you put it together like a powerpoint presentation and you're working with a bigger team so you want to share the deck with everybody to get their feedback right so this dude paul who was his name paul tyson shout out to paul tyson he his philosophy was like yo i'm gonna listen to your feedback but ultimately i'm the lead on this account so my name is going to be on this as the lead appreciate appreciate your perspective but i'm gonna have the last word on this he said that in a meeting and i was like yo what meanwhile me i'm like oh yeah i'll take every i'll take all your feedback i put everybody's feedback on top of my feedback you know what i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i was just like i'm adjusting everything no matter what based on what you say and seeing him do that gave me permission to be like yo respectfully like your feedback but i'm gonna I'm handle this like but before him I was like, yo, what? He's crazy. It's really interesting that you, because automatically, as you're talking, the word that like is in my head is accountability. And I learned that early from observation. So many people, you realize in those group settings when you're working on a large project, people are afraid to be accountable because if it goes left, they don't want to be the one that it's like, it's all on them. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't want to be the reason that just anything just goes wrong. Yeah. I realized that and then I was like <laughs> early in my career and then I, I, I quickly said to myself, what's the worst that could happen? So I started saying like, yo, I, when I'm working on certain things, like I'm gladly, I will take accountability for it. Like not only because it's something that I'm working on, but it's something that we're working on together. But like, if it feels out of the norm or it feels like something that like is just completely out the box, like, yeah. yo, let's talk about it. Right. Like, like. For example, I also learned like you're never gonna make everyone happy. Never. So, but you have to learn how to also compromise with people. Yeah. Especially in a group setting, especially just like in in business in general, it's all yeah. about compromise and just like one, it's relationships. But then within those relationships, you maintain it through compromise. There mm -hmm. are things that you're gonna want to do that the other person might not do, but might not want to do, but it benefits you. Now you have to figure out how can you have a conversation with them in order for that to transpire, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, anyway, my point is that, like, when you're saying that you're willing to take on all accountability, it, it, it puts all the pressure on you. When, like, for me, I've always just felt like, as a leader, like, you take that accountability. Like, if you're managing a team, also, like, 
you got to stand up for your team. If, if they're working on something that you may not have been working on, but like you have to help defend it, you got to defend your team. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You got to defend your crew. Like, and so I think accountability is really important in that sense. Facts. I'm, I'm curious too, because you said you started seeing representation, but it was white people, right? Yeah. Like, did you ever see representation of people that looked like you being no. themselves? So you probably was thinking like, all right, he could do it. Like Paul could do it, Yeah. but can I do it? Like, when did you get comfortable I, being a little bit more of yourself? I think it was more like, how can I do it? Like, it's not like so much if he can do it, like, why can't I do it? It's more like, how can I do it? So it's not if, yeah, it's, it's just how I can, can I it's just it. how. Yeah. Like, how is this going to be received the best way? Well, yeah, like if this person can do it and he has this, or he or she has this, like, this air about them of, of confidence, like about the way that they approach life. Like, how can I do that? And I just, I've learned that just through observing and just like being around good people and just being around mi mixing myself into different groups of people that are outside of the, the groups that I, I grew up with. Like, yeah. and, and that's even to a certain extent, right? Because like, I was fortunate that, yes, I went to boarding school Again, my mom doing what she does. My mom moved us out of the Heights and moved us to Riverdale at an early age. That was fifth, fifth grade, sixth grade. My group of friends that I grew up with here in Riverdale, we looked like the United Color, Colors of Benetton. Asian, white, Spanish, black, like, yeah. it, it's everything. So like that representation of diversity was there from an early age. But then when I went away to, to, to boarding school, it was diversity of cultures international mm. and then different types of people like, i'm not talking about people from the hood or like right, people right. from new york yeah. like talking about people from texas michigan ohio yeah. arkansas florida california new hampshire like so many different types of personalities and like i just grabbed on to from an early age like yo i love learning about people yeah. and i'm very observant but I'm also observant of quality things that people are doing. Because, again, I don't know why I keep bringing it back to my mom, but, you know, a lot of us Dominicans, Latinos in general, like our parents used to have that saying, like, Enseñame con quien tu, tu anda. Okay, show yeah. me the, the people you hang out around because that yeah. shows me who you are. Yeah, or like you're the average of your five friends, exactly, all the friends and right, shit like that. Exactly, and then for me, I took that as, yo, if I have the most uniquely different group of, of people and I, I can be around, then like, think about what that can do to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, think yeah, about yeah. like, taking all of that in. And so like, I was fortunate that I, I got that growing up here at Riverdale. High school, same thing. And then when I went into the, the, the professional world, working in corporate and, and, and working in entertainment finally and doing all that, I started gravitating towards different people who thought differently, who looked at things differently. Art, people who were creative. Yeah. And this is where creativity really kind of entered my life yeah. beyond, because at that point I still didn't know, I didn't understand what it was that I had or what it was that I could do. Yeah. So I'm still learning about myself at that point. That, that's something I want to ask you about too, because here you are trying to show a little bit more of yourself at work slowly. And I think we often do this in phases, like no one just shows up completely different the next day. It's kind of like, maybe I'm a 
grow out my beard a little bit or I'm going to do this. And eventually I'm, you know, this other person. But then there's this like, <laughs> then, there, then there's like content you're creating outside of work. Yeah. Which is, it's like funny. There's skits. But <laughs> like you're, you're also developing like a prof- professional brand. Yeah. Like, were you nervous about like, yo, what if people see this? Are they going to take me? less seriously or all these kind of 1000 percent, 1000 percent. hopefully i could insert some of these in the video but these are like classics yeah all the stuff you did with bago yeah yeah that was that a, early in your career that was early in my career and that was a great moment and i learned so much and i grew so much and that was what gave me the fever and from there i just kind of like never stopped it was like you have this moment you got a moment take advantage of it. If you don't take advantage of it, you lose it. And and it actually started before before with Bago was when I was coming out of college my last year, my last two years. Like, I was in college. I was one of those five-year college kids. Hey, all good, man. All good. But in college, I became a club promoter. And so I started promoting at clubs in Long Island. And this is when reggaeton was popping. It was yeah. crazy. Okay. I started bringing like a lot of like really dope acts to like clubs and stuff like that. Like me and my partner, uh, other promoters from Long Island as well that like helped bring us in, like yeah, taught yeah. us a lot. And I really went like super heavy into like that, right? Okay. And then from there, I always admired being in the club. I always admired the guy that stood next to the DJ. Yeah. Sometimes it was the DJ, but sometimes it was a host. Okay. I admired the host because they, they were on the mic and they were essentially MC. Right, know, they right. were they were keeping the energy up throughout the entire party. I could see that for you. And I loved that. I loved that. And I wanted to do that. And I wanted to be that so so bad. And in college I learned that you grew up in New York, you listen to Hot 97, sure. you listen to Power and all that other stuff. What it was before Power, I don't know what it was. But I used to listen to radio a lot. And in college, I was like, yo, I want to be like L. Boogs. He's a host on Hot 97, and he was bubbling at that time. So I was like, yo, how could I do that? Became a promoter. Started trying to get on the mic and like do that. I was horrible. I was horrible. <laughs> I was horrible. <laughs> Parties were um, popping, but you was horrible. The parties were popping, <laughs> but, but I was horrible. <laughs> like, so. It's like, Callate Adoni! Hey, hey, you, know, you fucking talking? Yo, man, it was, I was really bad. And then, little by little, I started hosting events at college. So fraternities and sororities, sure, sure. step and stroll shows. I would host them. Nah, I mean, I... I get books? Li- listen, man, I had to... I was in a fraternity in college, so I had to, like, host banquets and I stuff like you, that and, like, learn how to speak in front of people. And even during my pledge process, like that, that taught me to like, yo, you have nothing to be afraid of, just go. Mm. And so from there, I was just, I just started going. Started hosting banquets, started hosting stroll shows at different colleges. That wasn't just my college. I started getting called by people like, yo, can you host this and that? Boom. That was the fiebre. That was the fiebre right there. I didn't know what to do with that though. And now I'm, I'm working professionally in entertainment. And it's like, I want to be Batman at night, but I want, I got to be Bruce Wayne in the morning. Like, I, and it's not really Bruce Wayne. It's more like Clark Kent because he was mad nerdy and just kind of like <laughs> yeah, awkward yeah, yeah. and weird. And I, was, I felt like I was awkward and weird because I was like, 
I don't belong in these clothes, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so like I was trying to figure out like, what can I do with this thing now that I'm no longer in college? I'm now working professionally. Cool, I'm in entertainment, but like, I don't see a way that I can take what I'm doing yeah. and transfer that skill. But then you start making videos and the things go viral and a lot of people, was that, were you nervous that was gonna impact your professional brand though? I, at first I was, but then the opportunity started popping up. Like, I wonder if that brought you back to, to young you where you kind of wanted to sabotage the success of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, this ain't really gonna make it. This ain't really, like, this is cool, but like, all right, it was just one video. Like, yeah. it's not gonna, like, that's, there's nothing, nothing's gonna happen from here. You know? Right, right. And then the opportunity started popping up and then we started making more videos and became friends with Lin-Manuel and became friends with like Lemon Anderson, Calixto Chinchilla, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like Anthony Ramo, like there's yeah, so, yeah. so many people, La Bruja, like Flaco Navarro, so many amazing people from New York and just entertainers and creatives. Yeah, and um, those videos don't even go away. So even to this day, it must make you a little bit anxious. You know what it, I mean? It, it does, but like, <laughs> yo, it, it's, and it's not it, how bad it, 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 it was. No, because it was like, damn, I don't want, I didn't think it was going to happen. The opportunity started popping up. And then I'm like, I can't keep hiding it. But I also like, don't want people at work to look at me mm -hmm. differently. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, yo, this is dope. And these people have no idea right. what's happening. Right. And then the Latin billboards happened in 2012. Okay. And me and Boggle got invited to host the Latin billboards in Miami for a very big brand. And I was like, <laughs> wait, so like we got to pay for our tickets? No, they're going to fly us out. <laughs> you feel like an Instagram thought. Wait, yeah, I mean, there was no Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet, you know what I'm but saying? So you feel like, like a joint. Yeah. I'm I was like, wait a minute, out. wait a minute. Like, so they're going to fly us out and they're going to put us in a hotel and we got a camera crew and... Yeah. Okay, but you're gonna be out of work for about a week. Okay. I'm a bottom of the totem pole. Right, right. I'm working at this entertainment company, very sure. major media company. And at that moment I was working in ad sales. Okay. And so I had to go talk to the head of ad sales and basically I had to talk to my account executive first. My account executive didn't like me at that point. That, she did not like me. We did not mesh well together. Hence my disdain for ad sales. Like I just hate ad sales. It was a very horrible experience. My first account executive. Okay. Anyway, I told her about it. She was like, listen, I don't do what you gotta do. If you have, do you have the time? If you have the time accumulated, then do what you gotta do. But you're gonna have to talk to Mike. So, I'm, so he's the head, he's the right. boss. He's right, the right, boss, right, right, he's right. the one in the office behind the glass sliding door. So I go, I'm like, hey Mike, can I have a, a quick minute? Yeah, what's up? So I tell him, I'm like, hey, so-and-so has invited me to, and he's like, what are you talking about? Cause so-and-so happens to be a major client at that company. Wow. And so he goes to me, he's like, Oscar, I, I don't see how that makes sense. And I feel like that's a conflict of interest. He's like, I, I appreciate that you're doing things creatively. That's great for you. But like, 
there's going to be a moment that you're going to need to you got to make a you got to make a decision you got to choose you can't do both and that was when i kept hearing i can't do both and i was so resistant and i said nah i can't do both and i told him i was like mike i got the time though so it was a thursday friday and he didn't have to take a full week i just had to take thursday friday yeah and he was like oscar i'll think about it that's also he left me on that cliffhanger Right. And they had to buy the tickets. They had to buy the tickets. I mean, you had to go. I had to say yes. Yeah. So well, it's a once in a lifetime. So I went. Of course, you should. Oh, oh it was dope. <laughs> but, but within hours of me getting there, I am at a welcoming party on the rooftop of a hotel mm-hmm. where there's a pool. Mm-hmm. And I'm there with Bago and blah, blah. There's drinks. Aventuras walking around like there's there's Latin billboards and so I'm like this is crazy whatever and also like they man on the street us from the moment that we got out the cab like so they they got cameras on us the entire time and so like everything that we were doing was being recorded and so I'm at the pool having a good time welcome doing the welcome open on camera blah blah and then my phone starts ringing it's Mike the ad sales had, yeah. They had ad sales for the company. Yeah. And I was like, I picked up. I was like, hey, Mike. He's like, Oscar, please don't tell me that I'm looking at you right now down here in Miami on the rooftop of a building when I told you, like, we, I would have to think about this. He was there? He was a, at a building across, across <laughs> at another rooftop party. <laughs> and he literally saw me and calls me to... To basically, he's like, "You're here." Yeah. When we get back, we, we're, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have a conversation, and and I was like, "Okay." And then from that moment, it was kind of like a weight was lifted off my shoulders because I was like, "All right, I'm here yeah. now. Like, yeah. like now I'm gonna I'm gonna make the most out of this." It, and yeah, it, it was also like a coming out for you because people you were forced to tell people what you did on the weekends. Because typically it's like, yo, what'd you do this weekend? And we always like, oh, we did laundry. Yeah. Chill with the family, which you probably did, but you missed out on the and that, that. And yeah. I was shooting content and I, and I was doing this and I was going viral. So you were forced to like tell people what you did. And at it, that, it, and once. And after that, it's like it a was, flood. Yeah. That was it. And then it was every conversation. And then people started, and people at work started looking me up on YouTube and they started seeing millions of views and hundreds of thousands of views on these videos. And, the cameos that we had in the videos and the quality of the videos and like the things that we were saying and then like then the news started doing reporting then like it was they started to see all of this stuff and it was like all right you're not the person that you you've been in this office because like in the office you look like you don't want to be there when it was true i didn't want to be there like i just didn't know how i was going to make the money that i was making which was chump change but like how i was going to make that through this thing that I love, which is continuing to just be outgoing, use my voice, and then just be me authentically. How do you, one of the last questions, how do you know, how do you think you were received? Early on, it was a little bit of resistance because potential conflict of interest. Then, but that was like two people that you only spoke to. Now, everybody kind of knows. How do you think you were received? After that, it was received really well. It was received really well. Like, like Like you asked before, how did I feel about it kind of getting out? At times, I felt like 
this is embarrassing and I don't want to just yeah. be the subject of this conversation and I don't want to like, I don't want people talking about me behind my back and right. like blah, blah, blah. Because we make assumptions and we always assume the worst exactly. as well exactly. of the situation, the story that we tell ourselves. Exactly. But, you know, it was the opposite. It was actually a lot of love from people inside the office. They thought it was hilarious. And these were comedies. Like, <laughs> yeah, they yeah, thought yeah. it was hilarious. They loved it. They started showing it to their families. And like... They were helping with the variety. Yeah, yeah. And then they started kind of sharing it. And like, from there, I started meeting more people. From there, I started building relationships internally at this media company because they saw that I was more than just a guy doing make goods on commercials. Make you know what goods, I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, like, man, make me cringe you, with all that You know what shit. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was like they, they saw something more in me. And at that moment, I was like, there's no way that you can live this life and not flex that creative muscle inside of your brain. Yeah. Because even though you work this professional job and you work at a corporate company or you work at a nonprofit, yeah. like you need to be able to flex that create that creative muscle. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Like at the expense of whatever, because I feel like that's the most important thing in the world. Like, cause even like, yo, when I had this conversation all the time, like the conversation around legacy, mm. you ask a lot of people what their definition of legacy is and like, I feel like a majority of people will talk about their kids, their kids being their legacy. Mm -hmm. I love my daughter to death. She's not my legacy. She's not, she's a part of my legacy, but she's not my legacy. My legacy is everything that I will leave behind that people will still be able to talk about once I'm gone or when I'm not in the room. And I feel like the only way that you can leave a legacy behind is to create one. Me and that wraps up this week's episode of the Kinto Witters podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do us a favor. Wherever you're listening to this show, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or any other platform, please be sure to leave a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithms and ensures that more people hear these experiences because that's the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you and see you next time.